Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there, and uh, I want to say it to my dad, Happy Father's Day, Dad. You are awesome and mean the world to me. So thankful that we get to celebrate together today. Well, I hope you dads feel celebrated today, but I also hope this. I hope that as we dive into God's Word, that you see how amazing of a privilege it is that we dads have to be a reflection of our Heavenly Father to our kids, to our grandkids, and to whoever we play the role of dad to. And so I I pray that you are challenged this morning, that you uh, look at this and go, okay, Lord, have your way and do whatever you want in my life. And so we're thankful for you dads. My name is Phil Shields. I'm part of the teaching team here, and so I'm really glad to be with you on this day. We are going to be ending our series titled Weapons of Self-Destruction. And we thought for Father's Day we would choose the best subject that we could possibly talk about, and it's the subject of self-indulgence. In fact, we kind of, we wanted to lower it. Instead of doing gluttony, we chose self-indulgence. So for you dads, this is the subject that we're tackling. In fact, we wanted to take it a step further. We're actually testing you out this morning. So if you came in, and I don't know how many of you dads did this, but how many of you dads got donuts? Anybody? Come on, dads. You can raise your hand. You took a donut. Okay. So if you took more than one donut hole, this sermon on self-indulgence is for you. Okay. Now, if you were begging your dad for a donut hole, this sermon is for you. And if you're really wanting a donut hole right now, this sermon is for you. And so when we're diving into this subject, I hope that we all will be open to whatever God wants to say to us this morning. So I want to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures or turn on your phone or whatever you use and go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 18, but I also want you to put your finger in Psalm 63, okay? We're we're going to look at two different uh, pieces of scripture this morning uh, that I think are going to lead us to where we need to get on this subject of self-indulgence. And so I want to invite you, would you stand with me? And the reason we do this is we believe that as we read this, we are reading the holy word of God. We want to give reverence to that. We want to praise him for giving us these scriptures that we can look and see what he wants to speak into our life. So Philippians 3, starting in verse 18, it says this, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
Then if you flip to Psalm 63, the writer there, starting in verse 1, says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with sinning lips, my mouth will praise you. It's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And so, Father, I ask that right now you would have your way, that you would speak, that you would teach me right now, and that you would teach us what you desire your word to say. Guide us in this time. May we be open to whatever you want to do. It's your name I pray. Amen. Well, as we dive into this subject that can be hard, a subject of self-indulgence, I believe that there is a principle that we need to understand. Principle that will lead us a little bit through this subject. And I want you to see that to begin with. The principle is this, the perspective you view life from impacts the power self-indulgence will have in your life. So the perspective that you're going to view every aspect of your life from, it impacts the the power that self-indulgence will take root and start to work in your life. And so we have to understand that we view life through a variety of ways, and we're going to look at that this morning, but that self-indulgence actually wants to take over the, the power that the Spirit should have in our lives as believers and push it out so that it can take root. We're going to look at it through three ways. The first thing that we need to do is we need to define what self-indulgence is. So we're going to look at that, and then we need to understand what fuels self-indulgence and the impact that has on our life. And then we're going to look at what the solution to self-indulgence is. And hopefully we'll be walking away understanding that God wants to conquer that in our life. So let's define it, okay? So when we look at this subject of self-indulgence that you find, when we look to a dictionary, what we see is the definition of this word self-indulgence is this, excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. That doesn't really sound nice when you read it. But whenever you look at this, one of the things I, I want you to see is these first big words, excessive or unrestrained. These are things that are out of control in our life. And what we find here is that when we see this definition, even though Merriam-Webster defines it this way, what we don't see in the definition is the word needs. See, self-indulgence, sometimes when we look at it, it can be a good thing that we, want, that we start to indulge on, but it ends up becoming something that isn't a need. It becomes something that's an appetite or this desire or something we choose on a whim. And so when we look at this, what we have to understand is that there are some really hard things that go with with this term. I would also imagine that as we look at this, some of us are sitting here going, well, this is going to be an easy day because I really don't have anything in my life that I self-indulge on. And if that's what you're thinking, what I want you to understand is that in that moment, you are self-indulging on your pride. 
Because all of us in here, we are on a level playing field. All of us have self-indulgence in our life. And so we have to look at how that works its way out. Now, the synonyms of the word self-indulgence are this. They are pleasure-seeking, luxury, self-gratification, obsession, and gluttony. Now, when you hear those words, these are words that are very descriptive words that none of us want to be used of our life. I don't think anybody in here would be like, man, I hope that somebody describes me as a glutton. I don't think that's what we want. But that's exactly what is tied to self-indulgence. That's what our culture sees it as. But here's the other thing. I want you to see it from a biblical perspective. If you were to go to 1 Peter 2.11, what you would find there is a a defining of self-indulgence in this way. Self-indulgence is feeding the passions of the flesh. It's not necessarily God's will. It's what our will is. And so we feed it. It becomes this idol in our life. And because it's out of balance, it ends up making our life out of balance. And so we have to deal with this subject. We have to to look at it and figure out what is it that it's doing to our life. I want you to see something that Paul writes about in Philippians 3. So notice what he says here. He says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Now, the reason I have those words highlighted for you is because I want you to see something that is happening here. See, Paul is reminding his readers, he is reminding the people he is writing this to, including us this morning, that there are people and there are possessions and there are things in this world that are going to be enemies of the cross of Christ. We all have them around us. What was happening with Paul is Paul was traveling and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he was putting out who Jesus Christ was and what he does for us. And in those moments, there was a group of people that were following Paul around and after he would teach, they would then start talking to the people and they would start talking to them about that grace is not what it's all about. They were were like a thorn in his side everywhere he went. This is what was happening. There was this battle going on. And when you look at at Paul's writings, what you find is that this is one of the few places, I don't think there's any other place in Scripture that we see that Paul has this amount of emotion of tears. It's because it's so important for him to understand uh, and for his readers to understand that there is an enemy of the cross of Christ and it's coming after you. And so he is reminding, this is telling us that he has said this numerous times over and over and over again. And why is he doing that? It's because you and I are people with short memories. We have short memories See, for many of us, we would say we love the promises of God. We believe in the promises of God. God is amazing. And then circumstances hit our life that are tough. And we forget all the promises of God. 
And so Paul's saying, I am reminding you, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, you have to understand that there are these enemies. And the reason is because people with short memories turn to pleasures rather than the fulfillment of heaven. We turn to pleasures. We want to indulge in replacements. And so you might be going, well, I don't know where, that's, where that takes place. It could be that it has something to do with the foods you turn to or the people you turn to or the material possessions or your phone or something that you're viewing online or whatever it is, it's the next thing that you are indulging in to give you a brief escape thinking that happiness is found there. Our culture has changed radically over the last five years. You've probably noticed it, and it's probably happening in your home. If we took a survey, I would imagine a majority of us in here would say this. See, many of us have what we would call a subscription service to some streaming video service. So we have Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever it is, and we have that in our life. And I'm not saying that that's bad. Sometimes it's a really good thing to take a break. But this is what is happening. In 2017, Merriam-Webster added a term to the dictionary. And that term was based off of these video streaming services. The term is binge-watching. It's now part of our language. And there was a study done in 2017 by an organization, and this is what they found. That 73% of Americans binge-watch videos. That could be on TV, could be on your phone, on a computer, wherever. 73%. Now, out of that 73%, 90% of them are U.S. millennials. Now, that's not a slam against you millennials, okay? It's just saying this is where the culture has gone. This is the trending that's happening. And then out of that 90% of millennials, 38% of those millennials binge watch every week. Every week. These numbers are going up. Our culture is moving to this. Now here's the the fascinating thing. The same organization then did a study a year later, and what they found was that there was, in America, $2 billion were spent every month on these subscription services. So like, your 12 bucks that you spend every month, it amounts to $2 billion every month that people are moving towards binging. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that I am against any of that. What I want us to see is that they are the little things that are coming into our life that can sometimes be really good escapes that end up becoming the places where self-indulgence takes its root and it grows and it starts to destroy us. And so it could be binging whatever you want to say, binge shopping, binge eating, binge watching, binge whatever. And so when we turn to that, What we're saying is we want to escape life for temporary happiness. So we have to understand that if this is our definition and this is what is happening in our culture, and it's happening in our homes and in our lives, then we have to ask, what is fueling that? 
And what is the impact that that's having on us, not only as humans, but as followers of Jesus Christ? So if you're here this morning and you're checking this whole church and Jesus thing out, this next statement might seem strange to you, but I want you to know over the years I've spent looking at my life and looking at Jesus Christ, this is the case. And the case is, is that your heart and your soul are at the center of a great battle. It's the center of a great battle, and it's a battle between heaven and hell. Heaven is wanting to bring you tremendous fulfillment in life, no matter what season you're going through. And hell is wanting to replace God in your life with these little things. And so self-indulgence is in the battle for your heart. It's happening in your life. And we have to see this truth. And the reason that this is happening is because of ways that we view our life. See, I want to remind you of this principle. The principle that the perspective you view life from impacts the power self-indulgence has in your life. And the reason that's important is because what's fueling your self-indulgence is the lie of the promise of happiness. See, for all of us in here, I think at times we struggle with this, okay? That we believe that our life is supposed to be filled with happiness. That we're never supposed to have bad times. And yet, let me remind you, we live in a broken world. And so we cling to this promise of happiness. We live in a culture. We live in an incredible place. I love where I live. I, I hate the winters. I love where I live. I love the country that we are in. But the problem is, is that we have been lured in to believing that the American dream is also part of Scripture. And so we get lured into the promise of happiness and we want to pursue that. And so we go towards it and we say, we are going to do whatever makes us happy. And in the end, it never fulfills. We're still empty after a period of, of time. And so we have to understand that whatever makes you happy is not ultimate truth. It's not ultimate truth at all. And so some of this comes because of the way that you and I, that how we view life and the perspective we look through. So I want you to see what happens here. See, I believe that there's three lenses that we can look through. The first one is the lens of the past. There are some of us that are sitting here this morning that we view all of life through this lens. The lens of the past, whatever took place, how we grew up, the type of family we came from, the experiences that we had as a child, whatever it may be, we view all those things and that's how we view life. Now I'm not saying that your painful experiences aren't valid. But sometimes we view those painful experiences in our past and we allow those to dictate the walls we put up and the guards we put up. And so the way we live, the decisions we make are all based through these past experiences that we had. And so we view all of life through that. It could be as simple as this. 
Maybe you grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. Maybe it was a a hard thing, it was a small amount of money, and you didn't have a a lot of uh, celebrations, all of that because of it. And so because of that past experience, you're determined to make sure that your kids don't go through that same thing. And so what do you do? You pursue a job, and you work at that job, and you want to make money, and you want to make sure that they have a lot of things that you never had, and so you work more hours, and you go for the next promotion, and in the end, the very thing that you want to provide for your kids becomes the thing that you're self-indulging in, and you have now set your job up as an idol because you're going to make sure that nobody else experiences your past. And so we view life through this at times. The other aspect of this is that there's the lens of the present. So we have this this lens that we can look at. And so with every circumstance that comes into our life, it dictates how we live. Remember, we have the promise of happiness. And so if we're not happy and some circumstance comes in, then we forget all of God's promises. And so the present circumstances end up uh, making us look at different things. Whenever you look at life through this, it's looking at life for all the wants, the luxuries, the comfort, and you have a don't lose mentality. You're going to go after everything so that you can live in the present and you can control it and you can, you can do whatever you want to do and you're going to make sure that you're happy. And so we view life through, through these present things. Let me show you what Paul says. What Paul says in Philippians 3 is that those people that are the enemy of the cross, they, their mind is set on earthly things. See, lens one and two is your mind, my mind, being set on earthly things, on the temporal, on looking at things here. So let me be clear. I want you to hear it again. I'm not saying that your past or your present circumstances aren't important. But when they are dictating how you view God, your perspective is off. Let me tell you this. God is here right now. God was there in the past. God is here sitting with us now. He is in your circumstance now. He wants to bring fulfillment into those circumstances. He is walking next to you. His arm is around you. He is here to listen to you. And when we see this, when we, uh, when we see that that is how he is, we have to turn to him. In all seasons. See, the the thing that I want you to hear, especially with these two first lenses, is this. We have a value here at Wheaton Bible Church, and that value is stated this way. There is power in prayer. Now, here's the deal. This is a room that probably has a lot of believers that would say prayer is really good. But at times, when circumstances are hard, we don't see the power in it. And I want to remind you of what prayer is. 
Prayer on a Sunday morning in a service like this is not you just sitting in a, in a chair and listening to somebody pray. Or when you're at home and you're just reciting words and you're sitting in your living room and you're praying or before a meal, you are not just sitting there. When you are praying, you are entering the throne room of heaven where our risen Savior sits. You have access to the throne room of heaven And so when we look at our life through the past and through the present and just those circumstances and we forget what prayer is all about, you have access to the risen Savior immediately to walk in and to converse with him. And that should radically change how we view life. How we we look at life. So see, self-indulgence is about excessive control. These first two lenses have everything to control our lives, to control everything that comes in and out of them. And so I want to ask you, what is it that you are self-indulging in that you are trying to control in your life? And if you are doing something like this right now, what's it doing for you? I mean, what fulfillment is it bringing to your life? See, when that's what's happening, your mind is just on earthly things. And I'm begging you this morning, because I begged it of myself, that we would be vulnerable with ourself so that we can deal with this weapon of self-destruction in our life. You've got to be vulnerable with yourself. In her book, Brene Brown, uh, in her book, Dare to Lead, she ends up saying this. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. And when I read that, I go, it's the time that I need to be vulnerable and just tell God, this is how I'm viewing things. This is my perspective. And I need your help. So we're all self-indulgent in some way. But that self-indulgence, it impacts us in many ways, and I want to give you three. The first way that this happens is that self-indulgence ends up, it dulls out spiritual taste. It makes the the taste of anything in your spiritual life super dull, and it's, it's not fulfilling. And so we indulge on all these things that we think are going to fill that hole in our life, that we're going to pursue that and that's going to fill us, and it ends up pushing God out. And so the places that God is supposed to be to feed us during those hard times, he's being pushed out by these temporal things. And so you can enter a worship service and go, okay, I've done that this week, but you don't have any desire to praise God. Or when we don't go to prayer, it means that we're, our spiritual taste for prayer, that it's just become dull. And so the things that you think are little end up doing great damage to our life. It hurts it. Now the second thing that takes place is this. It, it ends up that self-indulgence ends up replacing God. See, you have to understand that when you indulge on something, it means that it's going to replace something else in your life. You only have a certain amount of space in your life. And so it's going to push out. And so if you are a follower of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
I want you to understand that whenever you are replacing the things in your life with these temporal idols, you are losing the perspective of the grace of Jesus Christ. You're losing perspective of the cross. That when Jesus went to the cross, he wanted to fulfill everything for us. He wants to fill those voids in your life. And so instead of going to the altar of God and worshiping him, we continue to go to the altar of media, to possessions, to food, to addictive uh, things in our life. And it replaces God. There's a third way that self-indulgence impacts our life. The third way is is this, is that self-indulgence makes us discontented people. See, we constantly uh, have hunger. When hunger comes, we eat. And then several hours later, we're hungry again. And that's the way self-indulgence happens in our life. See, our little gods, they fill us for a moment, but they offer empty promises of relief. Empty promises of of control and happiness. And so we end up becoming discontented people. When you become a discontented person, you become a person that likes to complain. So have you ever met a complaining Christian? I mean, they are a joy. You know, a complaining Christian, oh man, they are such a joy because they they live out these spiritual disciplines of maybe they come to church and they worship, but then the rest of the time they're just complaining about everything of what's happening in their life and that things aren't being fulfilled. And when that happens, it's because they're discontented with the things that they've put in their life and they're forgetting who Jesus Christ is. So here's the deal. If you walk out these doors and you hear somebody that is complaining about something, listen closely. And if they're complaining about something that is just totally foolish, I want you to put your arm around them and tell them, God's here now for you. He wants to impact that situation. He can fulfill everything. See, in this, when we become a complaining people, we become uh, a really hard people. And so we, we run to these things that we think are going to fill us up, and they never do. And sometimes they're really good things that we turn good into idols. This happened for me a couple years ago. My family and I, we went on vacation. We were at this resort, and the most glorious heavenly uh, machinery was right about 50 feet away from me. Soft serve ice cream maker, straight from heaven. See, in my home, we have ice cream every week of the year. It can be the middle of winter, and we can be going through the polar vortex. And if we don't have enough space in the freezer, I'm going to put the ice cream outside, because we are going to have ice cream in our home. So I was on this vacation, I was playing with the kids, and I would get out, and I would eat the ice cream, the soft serve ice cream, I have one, I'd go back to playing, and then I would look and I'd be like, you know what, it's there. I'm going to go get another one. So I had another one. By the end of the day, I think I probably had five or six soft serve ice cream cones. It's a beautiful heavenly thing, right? At the end of the day, I was so sick 
Like all of that sugar, all that creamy goodness turned into this awful thing that was no longer fulfilling. I turned something that was good into something that became awful for me. And the way that it started is because I was repeating the phrase in my mind just a little more. See, for some of us in here, we're using the phrase just a little more on good things and on bad things, and they are becoming the idols in our life that are starting to control us and replace God. And because of that, we have to deal with this. See, remember, the perspective you view life from impacts the power self-indulgence will have in your life. But I want you to know there's a solution. Here's where the solution is found. It's through the lens of heaven. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where our, our, our solution is. It's found by viewing life through this lens of future glory. That our time spent here isn't spent in wasted environments. It's spent because God has sent his son, has redeemed us, has defeated death so that our indulgence is not on temporal earthly things. Our indulgence is on heaven and his glory. That's what looking at life through that, that lens is all about. It's saying the circumstances in my life are going to be based off of how I view where my citizenship is. Folks, this is not your home. This is not your home. And so we have to view future, the lens of heaven, that I am a foreigner in this land, but someday, someday, I will see my Savior and I will be in the place that I belong. Whenever we look at this, I, I, I have to say this to you so that you understand it, that whenever we look at this, your belief is going to govern your cravings. Whatever you believe is going to govern your cravings. So what you believe about God is going to govern what you crave. What you believe about your life is going to govern what you crave. So whenever you indulge, I want you to hear this. Indulge on the grace of Jesus Christ. Take it all in. Feast upon it. Because when you crave Jesus, he will fulfill you. He will replace these tiny idols of self-indulgence and he will replace it with himself and his grace. See, the solution to this is viewing him and him alone. But then it's doing something. Because as disciples, we are called to do something, and that's what our other text shows us. Here's what I want you to see. Whenever you look at Psalm 63... Psalm 63 is this beautiful text, and it shows us what we must do when we are falling into self-indulgence. See, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to seek. 
So hear me, when you have the temptation to pursue something, instead of pursuing that thing and seeking that thing, that item, that, that thing that's trying to grab a hold of you, you are seeking Christ and him alone. That you're going to earnestly seek him. Your eyes are going to be open for him and where he's at work. And then when you're thirsty, when you're thirsty for whatever temptation is coming and for you to, to indulge and be thirsty for Christ, that you would go after him, that you would realize that he is the only one that is going to quench that thirst because right now you are living in a dry land, but eventually heaven will be flowing with his glory. And you're going to see it. So you have to seek, you have to thirst. And then I want to plead with you that at different times in your life, when you look at Psalm 63, that you will just spend quiet moments and you will behold his glory. I mean, when was the last time that you got rid of the distractions in your life and you just spent some time and you just focused or it might be a quiet walk, whatever it may be, and you behold his glory. The risen Savior loves you. Wants to fulfill things in your life that you can't even dream about. And that you just need to sit and behold. The other aspect of this is that whenever we look at Psalm 63, we have to understand that because his love is better than anything in life, it's better than life, that we will be a people that prays. So that we will be a people that prays in the dark times, that we will praise in the high times, we will praise in the valleys and on the peaks. Wherever we are, we will praise him. Because we want to indulge in his glory and his glory alone. And when those are the things that we start uh, asking the Spirit to, to work in our life and to do, what we end up finding is that we are going to be fully satisfied. That we have the opportunity to be fully satisfied here on earth with Jesus Christ and, and him alone. And so I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that we are a community of believers that, that apply this, that we say Psalm 63 is what I am going to live for. That's what I want to indulge in. And this is where we then understand that the perspective you view life from, it's going to impact the power self-indulgence will have in your life, but the lens of heaven, that lens of heaven is going to lead you to the power of God's grace. It's going to lead you to the power of God's grace. And so I am praying that this is true for this community of believers. And because of that, his glory will be seen wherever we go. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your work. I thank you for what you do in our lives. And Lord, I want to confess right now, there are so many things in my life that I try to indulge in that take me away from my focus of you. Lord, help me to see that the place that I need to indulge is in your glory and your beauty. And I pray that for my family here that we would see that you 
are better than life itself. So that we would leave here, that we would take captive, that we would be vulnerable with ourselves, and that we would come before you and confess that we need you. So have your way. It's your name I pray. Amen.